Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again today. We've had a a tremendous week around Real Life Church, as I said we would last week. Vacation Bible School happened this week. It was amazing craziness all week long. Uh, That is such an important event in the life of our kids. Kids who go to our church, kids who don't have a church to go to. Uh, It is such a, a highlight of Uh, their week and their year. And so uh, it's been a great week around here. I'm very thankful for it. Thankful for all of you who volunteered and contributed, people who showed up and mixed snacks and served snacks, people who cleaned up afterwards. It was a major uh, effort to make this happen, and we couldn't have done it without you. So thank you to all of you who took part in that. Um, uh, I got to uh, float through the campus every day uh, and just watch this incredible Uh, organization uh, with all the people involved, all the volunteers involved. Make sure if you haven't already, say thank you to uh, Stacy for all she does with our children's ministries. Uh, Raul does a great job with our student ministries. Pastor Anthony is doing a great job overseeing things. Uh, Make sure you stop and say thank you to those people because they they really poured themselves into this week uh, and had a great time. So say thanks to all those folks. Uh, I, uh, I got to have kind of a cool experience with kids just a week ago because as you know, uh, if you're over on our Glendora campus today, you know that we have a preschool over there. Uh, hey, Glendora. And uh, at the preschool campus, once a week, we have chapel. And the kids from the classes come and gather in our little uh, little chapel over there. And we have a chapel service on Thursday afternoons. And it's actually one of the highlights of my month. I, once a month, I teach chapel and absolutely love it. Um, we do... We, do, uh, we tell a joke, and then we have a game, and then we have a little Bible study and tell stories. And then at the end, we do my favorite part of chapel. We do Q&A. We do question and answer. And I love question and answer because the questions are absolutely all over the place. They are not related to each other. They're not related to anything we've talked about that day. When you say to a bunch of young elementary students, what questions do you have? It is just a free-form, artistic exploration of absolute craziness. And so this uh, last week, uh, we had a chapel service. Uh, I talked about prayer and talked about uh, finding our Valley Center building as uh, an answer to prayer. And uh, then I said to the kids when we were done, I said, what questions do you have? And, you know, lots of hands went up uh, and they said uh, they had questions about uh, when we found the property. They they asked, uh, when you drove over here, was it you or Pastor Anthony driving? And I was like, "Uh, I was driving. Why? Why was Pastor Anthony not driving? Can he not drive? No, I I was driving that day. What kind of car was it? It was a Honda. What what color was the car? It was it was blue. It, it was it a van? No, it, it was a car. I just said that. What, next question. Was it a van? I, I just answered that. Why are we? Okay. So we kept going around about that. They really had a lot of questions about that. And then one of them, you can see they're kind of reflecting. One of them was thinking about the fact that I had talked about prayer. And he says, so wait a minute, you can ask Jesus for anything. And I said, sure you can. And he says, and so is Jesus like Santa Claus? And I said, well, Jesus died for you, so he's sort of better than Santa Claus. And this other kid in the crowd goes, wait a minute, Jesus died for me? What? Why did he do that? And then I got to just spontaneously explain the gospel to the the whole uh, gathering of the preschool in the chapel. And that's why I love chapel. It's just just absolute craziness. But they're 
they're open-minded and they have good questions and they like being together. And, uh, and so I'm thankful that we get, to, we get to run a preschool over there. And I'm thankful that you all support us having two campuses and uh, working at the, the Glendora campus to make sure that, that that campus is beautiful and that we have a nice uh, preschool over there for all the kids in the neighborhood. So anyway, it's been a great uh, couple weeks around here at Real Life. And today we're going to dive back into our series of studies called Encountering God. And we've been talking through this series, as you know, if you've been attending or following online at reallife.la, you know we've been talking about different stories in the Bible of people who have encountered God. And we talk about miraculous encounters with God and the gift of prophecy and how we listen for God. And today I want to talk about a specific kind of encounter that happens over and over again in the Bible. And it's one that a lot of people today, even Christians who go to church, a lot of people today aren't quite sure what to do with it. But there are, there's a way in the Bible that God often appears, a way that God, uh, the way that people often encounter God. And today I want to talk about that. There's a, a gentleman who used to attend our church. He's since moved away to another state, but he attended here. And he told me that when he was a little boy, he had an encounter. He said he and his mom went in a little store and uh, they were together. And he said a man walked past them and turned down an aisle in the store. And his mom said, did you see that man? And this guy, who was then a little boy, said, yeah. And she said, go follow him down that aisle and and look and see where he is. And my friend goes and he looks down the aisle, and he said it was an aisle that was a dead end. You can't, there was no way out of it. Once you walked down the aisle, you had to come back out the way you went down. And he went and looked down the aisle, and he said, no one was there. And he went back to his mom and said, where did he go? And his mom said to him, that was an angel. And he said his mom just sort of had a sense for things like that. And often had experiences like that. And he didn't know what to make of it. And even as an adult, he wasn't sure what to make of it. But he always remembered that event. And the Bible says that there are angels that walk among us. And that sometimes appear. Messengers from God that allow us to encounter God in a special and unique way. On the other hand, there are other encounters that people have with spiritual beings. Uh, I remember talking to a family many years ago who called me up and, uh, and said, uh, Pastor Jim, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, some weird things have been happening in our house. Uh, and I knew who this family was. They're a perfectly reasonable family. They came to church sometimes. They weren't deeply involved. Uh, but they, uh, they're nice folks. And the mom says, uh, well, uh, so some strange things have been happening in our house. Like, uh, like the other day, the kids were playing in the living room and the TV started turning on and off. And I said, well, call an electrician. And uh, she said, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd normally do. And while I was talking to her, her voice kind of trailed off. She stopped talking. And I thought, I had, thought we had disconnected. And I said, hello, are you still there? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And she said, yeah, but some other things have happening. She said, not long after that, my, my three-year-old was upstairs and started screaming. And I said, honey, I'm, I'm cooking in the kitchen. Come downstairs. I can't come up right now. And she said, my three-year-old came running downstairs and said to me, mommy, the shadows are walking around in the hallway. And I said, okay, could be a kid's imagination. And she said, yeah, 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 that's, that's normally what I would think. But some other things have been happening. And I said, like what? And again, her voice kind of trailed off. And I said, hello, are you, 
are you still, are you still there? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. She said, uh, a guy moved in a house uh, down the block. And a month later, he put the house up for sale and was moving out again. And I went and asked him, what's going on? Why are you selling the house you just bought? And he said, every day, I go to work. I lock the house and I leave. I'm the only person who lives here. When I get home, I open the door, and all of my belongings have been taken out of the cabinets and put on top of them, like somebody emptied them all out. He says, there's, there's nobody here. There's no signs of anybody having been here. It just happens every day, and it's weirding me out, and I'm leaving. And I said, huh, well, that is strange. And uh, we chit-chatted a little bit more, and her, her voice kept trailing off. And I, I said to her eventually, I said, sorry, is there a problem with our connection? I keep, it keeps sounding like I'm losing you. And she said, uh, she said, actually, Pastor Jim, when I, when I started talking to you on the phone, the, the radio started turning on and off. And I said, would you like me to come pray for your house right now? And she goes, no, I'm going to the mall. And she ran out the door. <laughs> Later, my wife and I and somebody from our prayer team went and prayed for, our, for her house. And uh, it was just a quiet little visit. And we prayed together. Uh, and in the weeks to come, I would check back with her again and say, anything else happened? And she said, no, it just stopped. Nothing's happened since then. Well, the Bible talks about things like that too. In our modern world, we think that that's nothing but strange. But if you read the Bible, the Bible is filled from beginning in to end with stories of angelic beings and darker things that walk the earth. And people have real encounters with them. And I've actually known several people in my life who have had encounters like those. You can't have Jesus without having stories of angels and demons. They're just written into the scripture from the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, angels uh, show up and are talking to Abraham. In the book of Job, Satan appears. There are stories like that throughout Jesus' ministries. It's just, it's just hard to know what to think of things like that if you're a modern-day, post-enlightenment, rational Christian. What do you do with all that? Well, let's look at a couple of biblical texts and see what it has to tell us about encountering God through these angelic beings. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that in the wonders of your creation and the mysteries of this world, there are some things that are beyond our normal expectations. And I thank you that through your creation, we can encounter you. That even in strange and mysterious ways, we can cross paths with you and discover that you're really there and that you really want to speak to us. You really want us to encounter you. And so I pray that today, as we study your word, as we listen for your voice, that we would hear you clearly, that we'd understand and know more so that we could draw close to Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at a couple of biblical texts about encountering God in these uh, unique kinds of situations. This is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And I love the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. If you read through Mark 1, you basically have an outline of the ministry of Jesus. Mark 1 covers most of the things that Jesus did every single day in one chapter. And this is part of it. Mark, chapter 1, at verse 21, listen to the Word of God. They went to Capernaum, which is uh, a city... Uh, beyond which Jesus never traveled more than 30 miles. It's kind of his home base. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. 
So the common teaching practice in that day was for the teachers of the law to quote other teachers who had gone before them. The rabbis would quote other rabbis and then debate about which rabbis had the best interpretation of the Bible. Jesus stands up and says, no, 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 heaven is like this. Let me tell you. God is like this. Let me tell you who God is. He spoke as though he knew. And so people are amazed at his authority. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Uh, and as I told you last week, this is how Jesus was known. Jesus did not primarily attract crowds by being an interesting teacher. He attracted crowds by working miracles. J.P. Meyer, uh, esteemed professor at Notre Dame, says that if Jesus, if the historical Jesus is known for anything all, at all, he was known for being an exorcist and a miracle worker. This is how he was known. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. There are... Stories of angelic appearances all over the Bible. You can't have Jesus without having them. But what are we supposed to do in a modern world where stories like that seem like fiction that appears in horror movies, ghost stories that you tell to kids around campfires? In my experience, lots of people have had experiences that they can't quite explain, but they don't want to feel strange talking about it, so they don't tell anyone. In fact, it's remarkable. I sat with a, a crowd of people last week and told them about one of my stories of visiting someone's house and praying for it. And two other people in the room had stories like that that they had never really told anyone because they weren't sure who to tell. You, you can't have the story of Jesus without having stories of angels and demons. It's just written into the whole narrative of the Bible, unavoidably so. So, so what do you do with that if you're a modern-day rational, level-headed Christian, post-enlightenment. We, we know that the world is uh, full of uh, physical principles and matter. What do you do with stories like this? Well, first of all, uh, you have to realize that, that stories like this leave us with only a few options. One, you can absolutely just write it off and say, that's just nonsense. I believe in God, but none of that actually happened. That's just an ancient way of looking at the world, and people don't look at the world that way anymore. The truth is, if that's what you do, you're, you're trying to do some mental gymnastics to write out part of the Scriptures. You're doing what Thomas Jefferson did to the Bible when he went through and cut out all of the supernatural parts and published a copy of the Bible that's now called the Jefferson Bible, much shorter than the original, which is only sort of a random collection of moral teachings. You really can't have the Bible without stories like this. They're inextricably interwoven into the text. 
Some people hear stories like this and they are obsessed with it. They love stories like this. They see angels behind every tree and demons under every rock. And when they watch the trailer for a horror movie, they have to sleep with all the lights on because they're sure something's going to happen in their house. A third option, which is the one that many of us take, is that we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, maybe it happens, but I don't really know anything about it and I don't really want anything to do with it. After all, you can read the Bible and go to church and worship and believe and be saved and go to heaven, and you don't really have to deal with any of that. Well, there are a couple things we ought to realize about stories like this, about encounters with the supernatural in the appearance of angels and demons. First of all, you have to realize that stories like this are, are true. The Bible doesn't talk about them metaphorically. It talks about them literally and realistically. And Jesus addresses demons. And angels appear to announce the birth of the Christ child. It's written into the story so that we take it seriously and at face value. In fact, the great writer and theologian C.S. Lewis talked about this. He says in a little book that he wrote, which is a clever piece of fiction called The Screwtape Letters, a collection of letters between a senior demon and a junior demon, uh, where the senior demon gives the junior demon advice on how to tempt human beings. And Lewis, in his introduction, says he's often asked about whether or not he believed that demons were real or if this was just sort of a literary device that he created. And Lewis writes this. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe... And to, f and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Uh, it, it, Satan would be just as happy for us to assume he's not there at all so that he can, he can get away with whatever he wants to do, or that we become obsessed with him so that he distracts us from the life that God has for us. Thinking about things like this is, is really kind of a simple, rational process. Obviously, God has created different species. He's created human beings. He's created dogs and cats. He's created bugs. He's created uh, living uh, organisms that are so small that you and I can't see them, microorganisms. He's created species with different kinds of skills and abilities than human beings have, some of which we can't even comprehend. Bats use echolocation to find their way around. We can sort of imagine what that's like, but it's not like our experience of seeing things, right? There, there are all kinds of different species out there, some of which we're not aware of most of the time. Well, the way Bible, the Bible talks about angels is just that they're another kind of species that God has created. And sometimes they make themselves visible, and sometimes they do not. They're messengers that God sends into the world, and they obey God and deliver the messages that God has. And just like human beings who can choose to follow God or not, angels get to make the same choice. And the Bible says that some of them have chosen to reject God, and that's what we call demons. It's actually a very rational uh, kind of way to view the world. It's, it's not at all superstitious or... Uh, it's not, it's not science fiction. And the Bible wants us to take this seriously. Secondly, when we read stories like this, we ought to approach them with a level head, realizing that these kinds of things matter. 
Yes, we can believe and go to church and worship and be saved and go to heaven and not deal with it, but these kinds of things matter for three reasons. One, if we ignore them, as C.S. Lewis said, there are all kinds of pitfalls into which we can trip. If we ignore them, there are problems that can come around in our lives that we, we may miss because we dismiss this as an unrealistic kind of thing. I actually remember, I've been to five different houses where I was invited to pray for the house because strange things were happening in the house. Uh, and I remember one of them a few years ago here in Glendora. Uh, I went to the house and the, the family, multiple people in the family were seeing apparitions in the house. We're seeing images of people walking around in the house who weren't there. And uh, we went through the house and we prayed in each room. And this is what you do. You just go in the room and you pray, Jesus, we ask that you bless this house. We ask that anything here that doesn't belong here, Jesus, we ask you to chase it out now. In Jesus' name, we command it to leave. Um, nothing happens. Lights don't go on and off. There's no voices. We just pray uh, peacefully in each room. And as we were going through this house, I asked the father of the house a question I've literally never asked anyone before or since, but for some reason, this question just kind of jumped into my mind, and I asked it. I said, hey, I've got a question. It may sound kind of strange, but I just want to know, do you have a Ouija board in this house? It's kind of a little, it's like a toy game that kids play with and pretend like they're hearing from spirits. Sometimes it's used in uh, kind of witchcraft and things like that, and I've never thought much about them, but I asked, do you have one? And he said, no. And I said, oh, well, then I guess it doesn't matter. And he says, but I did used to work at the factory that produced them. And I, I read about this factory. Uh, it's down in Mexico. And the factory has a story of weird things happening in that factory. And, uh, and so we continued to pray over that house. But that's an example of exactly what Lewis is talking about. If we ignore it, if we pretend like there's nothing dark out there trying to influence our lives, we can fall victim to the things that it's trying to do to us. A, a hunter does not want the prey to be able to see the trap so that the prey will fall into the trap. It's wiser to be aware of what's going on spiritually in the world around us. So there are pitfalls into which we can trip if we don't pay attention to this. Secondly, there are blessings we miss out on if we ignore this kind of stuff. Hebrews, the passage we read, says that never fail to entertain strangers because by doing so, some people have welcomed angels without knowing it. And in the Bible, when people welcome angels, when they treat them graciously, they receive blessings from God. Angels not only deliver messages, but they protect people. And so people, by entertaining strangers, sometimes find out that they've welcomed a heavenly guest. Can you imagine us walking blindfolded through either a, a minefield or a bank vault and not being able to see what's around us? Either dangerous things that we might fall into or treasures that we might pass over because we weren't paying attention. The Bible says, no, take this seriously. There are blessings to be had for taking this seriously. And there's nothing unbiblical about praying God, send angels to watch over us and to protect us. Thirdly, it's important to take these kinds of things seriously because it helps flesh out our understanding of why the world is broken. When people ask questions about why is there suffering in the world, why is there evil in the world, this actually is a, a, a logical piece in that puzzle. And if you, if you leave this out, if you write this off as superstition, you miss an important part of answering that question, that there really are 
forces of good and evil in the world that steer us in directions good and bad. So this is the, the picture of the world that the Bible lays out for us. There really are forces around us trying to influence us one way or the other. And it would be wrong to be obsessed with them and to spend all of our time paying attention to them and thinking we see angels and demons all over the place. But it's equally wrong to write it off and to pretend like it's not there or to act like somehow these stories were worthwhile 2,000 years ago and now they're not. Jesus invites us into a relationship with him in a world where he is really living and active, in a world where God's actually moving through the world trying to call us to himself so that we could know him and trust him and interact with him. And it's no surprise that he's created a species of being there to help do that. And so, the practical upside of that is that we can pray. Jesus, send angels to watch over me. Jesus, send messengers to speak to me so that I can hear you and know where you're leading. And protect me from anything dark and broken in the world that might lead me astray. Can you imagine ignoring those kinds of things and suffering the consequences of that? It would be like a, a general who's put in charge of an army, and when invaders come and try to conquer, this, this uh, general has the power to summon up an army and send them out to battle and vanquish the enemies. But this general decides instead to sit at his breakfast table, sipping tea and eating sandwiches, and says, I don't want to be involved in all of that. What would the neighbors think? Well, that's a pretty good picture of Christians who don't take the spiritual world seriously and just write it off for fear that the neighbors might think poorly of us. We're called into a world where Jesus wants to interact with us, where he wants to send messengers to us, where he wants us to engage in the spiritual realities around us and be attentive to them. The first thing we need to do is decide that we want Jesus in our lives because he's the one who's in charge of it all. And so if you've never come to that place before where you've said, hey, Jesus, I'm actually starting to take spiritual things seriously. I'm starting to take seriously not just the existence of God, but, but the fact that God really wants to interact with me. The fact that God wants to be involved in my life in tangible ways. I think I want to start taking that seriously. If that's you, then you can right now in your heart just pray quietly, Jesus, I invite you in. Jesus, reveal more of who you are to me. Help me to see more of the world the way it really is, the way that you made it, the visible and the invisible. And as we take hold of Jesus, as we take hold of Jesus' hands, the one who created all things visible and invisible leads us into the world with all authority and all power over anything that might come against us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that uh, you do have all power in this world, and we do trust you. We know that this world is in your hands, and that though there are things beyond our sight and beyond our comprehension, you're in charge of them all. 
And so we entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our lives to you. And we invite you to use whatever means you need to speak to us, to protect us, to guide us, and to call us to yourself. Jesus, we place our lives in your hands. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.